0: Welcome to the Aikidojo Podcast. I am David Ito, Chief Instructor
1: of the Aikido Center of Los Angeles. And with me is... Bill D'Angelo, 4th Don Aikido, Aikido Center of Los Angeles. And today we have a special guest. Uh, My name is Ken Watanabe, 6th Don, Chief
2: Instructor of the Yaido Department and Technical Director of the Aikido Center of LA, Kyokai.
1: Wow, great. Welcome. Thank now, you for having Ken. me. It's really great to have you here, Ken. Well, thank this you. Looking forward to this conversation today, and uh, our our topic. Since and I talked about it before, I think you know we uh, the topic of discussion today, or at least for our lead in, is on um, what is the relationship of sword and swordsmanship in Aikido, uh, in a very broad sense, and then we can dive in. I think one one of the things I was going to think of when I when we start talking about a topic like this especially with someone who's as much sword experience as you, is you hear people say that Aikido is based on sword. Like you'll see those statements floating around the Internet, on interviews, uh, even talked about by instructors. What do you think people mean when they say Aikido is based on sword?
2: I think it means when you look on YouTube, when people demonstrate, when teachers demonstrate the technique, usually they have a sword in their hand and they're demonstrating something like Nage, like mm-hmm. that's a standard. That's a gold standard for showing Aikido is based on swordsmanship. Then you go, oh yeah, it makes sense, shihonage. It's You cut four different ways, when you cut, you throw. But it's, I think it's a lot more than that. It's not just for a technique isolated like shihonage. You know, it influences all the techniques in Aikido,
0: if you say it's much more than that, what do you mean?
2: It, I mean, it's the way they move in Aikido. In Aikido fight, I just made air quotes. You would move in a way that's weapons based. So you move in an upright posture, and your footwork would be like a weapons kind of um, footwork, as opposed to like. Boxing? A grappling footwork or a boxing footwork. Oh, the... so so it's
0: different than like the position a wrestler would assume in the in the beginning of a fight. Or a um I don't know, judo person, you know, some type of grappler, they would they would assume a different type of body position and footwork?
2: Yes, that, that's correct. Yeah. The weapons the Aikido movement is based on a weapons movement, either from swordsmanship or spearmanship, but it's an upright weapons movement posture. That's how they issue power. That's how they that's how they use their energy and their movement to create this energy to throw the to throw the opponent or pin them down. Especially so, in the beginning parts of the movement when you're trying to neutralize your opponent's technique, they use timing and spacing to neutralize the attack as well as you know, unbalance their opponent, bring their movement within their own movement, like draw their energy into your own movement, things like that. You know, get into an optimal position from which you can, you, know, you can strike if you want to, but in Aikido sense, you throw or pin or apply some kind of control hold or something like that. But did, did Osensei study uh, traditional weapons forms? The story, when you read the books, goes like this. He studied Hozoin-ryu spearmanship. He studied Yagyu Shinkage-ryu swordsmanship. He studied various schools of jujitsu, as well as judo. And he settled on swordsmanship and spearmanship to develop these movements that we see in Aikido today, as well as the timing and spacing.
1: So one of the things, Ken, I was thinking of was you were talking and since they kind of got into it is when I think of like the difference between, let's say, a boxing boxing body motion or body mechanics versus Aikido is if your right foot is moving, your right hand is moving. If your left foot moving, your left hand is moving, whereas like a, a lot of the movements in boxing are cross body. So you'll be in a let's say if you're a right handed, you'll be left foot forward, left hand forward. But your power punch is as a cross where you're. Pushing the the mechanic is going across through your hips. They both go through your hips, but it's more of a cross rather than stepping in. And I'm curious: is is there some aspect of that movement that is also derived from um, swordsmanship or spearmanship? The the different way that um, we move.
2: Bill, I would say yes. In most
1: traditional
2: arts in Japan, your shoulders and your hips are actually lined up. Hmm. So if you're, if the right side of your hip moves forward, the cor- your shoulder would come forward at the same time. So you're almost like your shoulders and your hips, it's almost like a board in front. So actually when you're moving forward, when you're walking forward, like maybe in like no drama, your, your hips and your shoulders, they stay very still. Mm. And then when you're moving forward, you're actually like doing um, something called Sujiyashi this footwork that they have in a lot of martial arts where your foot like slides and it comes down There's a lot of sliding Mm. and when you move like that um, You don't see Your opponent or the dancers body move up and down or side to side. It moves very very smoothly Right, so in essence No drama is what the samurai did for fun because it was also a part of their training everything that samurai did had to do with their training everything in tea ceremony was for training everything they did in noh was for training so the way they move their feet in no drama it echoed how you would move your feet in martial arts like you like you would always hide your footwork right if you're looking at your opponent's shoulders, they would not be able to tell which foot was forward and what your balance was. And you can't look down at the feet. Once you look down at the feet and you look up, the guy already got you. So you're trying to hide your, hide your movement, hide your balance, hide your footwork. You know, like your opponent will not know if your weight is on your front foot or your back foot left foot or your right foot you move like that so your opponent has to he can't take the easy way out and go okay his weight is on his back foot that means he's gonna do this 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 and this his weight is on his front foot he's probably going to kick me with his back foot right so you're completely hiding your balance so your opponent can't tell what you're going to do
1: so, Ken, one of the things that you're talking about in, in, I mean, Ito Sensei teaches this, too, in terms of suriyashi and sliding. I think sometimes things that—not um, not, not only beginners, but a lot of people that do Aikido find initially difficult—is this sliding the feet with, with the toes down as opposed to a more Western-style step where you almost like kicking your leg out and your heel touches first and then your feet. I mean, are you talking— how do you teach that and, and how, how is that related to a swordsmanship technique that you've just been talking about in terms of hiding your, your uh, motion and your balance? Well, in terms of suriyashi and how your foot, like sometimes
2: our foot, we get stuck. I discovered, and most people have discovered that, it's because your balance is off. Mm. So your, your balance has to be equally distributed weight wise, front and back. But, of course, like, in swordsmanship, your, like, power is 70% left foot, only 30% right foot. But balance-wise, your balance is about 50-50, and maybe, like, mentally, you're projected 5% forward. So you're always, like, in this attacking mindset that you're always ready to go forward at any time. But balance-wise, your opponent will never know, like, if if you're... Not never know. They should not know if your balance is on your back foot or your front foot. You know.
0: But do you think people today in in modern or Gendai Aikido think about this type of stuff?
2: (laughs) I want to say, maybe no. Is it important? I think as a martial art, as an effective martial art. It's super duper important. It's extremely important not to telegraph your attack or your movement to your opponent. But then people in today, you,
0: you look and you watch them them move and they're very flat-footed. Flat-footed meaning like... They stomp and the, they don't slide, they stomp. Oh, they mm. stomp?
1: Yeah. Yeah, they lift
0: their foot, as Bill was indicating, like this, you know, in Western uh, movement, you walk by touching heel toe, and and walking is a form of falling, and so when you lift up your foot, you lift up your foot, on a certain level, you're falling every moment, every step, but then in Aikido, you're trained to slide, like that Sugiashi or Sugiyashi, whatever you're going to call it, like, but do do you think people are doing that today, consciously?
2: I would say if your teacher did not point it out to you and said, you should move your feet in this way, this way, because of this reason, this reason, you need to train that. Probably no. Is it they, important? Just, I, would th- I think it's extremely important to like move your feet correctly. One thing is if you move, if you come up, if your foot comes up and down, the chances of you maybe slipping on something outside are more. If your foot stays closer to the ground as you're sliding, maybe you might not get that, um, that big gait, even though you're trained to like, in Aikido, you're trained to stretch your legs and in one movement, one step, slide maybe six feet forward mm-hmm. at least. That's where your power comes from, that movement and your body coming forward, you know, extension and everything. But when you slide forward, as soon as your foot comes down and your body shakes, your opponent will go, "Okay, their foot is down. Now I can do something." Whereas, if they don't know what your feet are, if you're just moving, moving around, without revealing your footwork, your opponent won't know how to break, like they won't know how, they won't know whether to sweep the leg or not to sweep the leg. Right. Because if as as they sweep the leg and they miss. Then they open themselves up to attack. Well, like you know, like in Sensei back in the day when we were students,
0: he yeah. used to wear his hakama really low, to hide his footwork, right?
2: I think what that was that I used to wear my hakama like that, and I think what it was is, you have to move your foot, your feet, your step has to be kind of precise. Like, you can't just step any old way. You have to step very precisely. If you do that stomping thing where your foot's coming up, you're probably going to trip. So he probably did that maybe as a training aid, you know, because you have to slide forward without stepping on your Hakama. Like, when I took kizukemi, I would always step on my Hakama because it was that long, you know, because you can't help it. Because you're just taking your Kami, scrambling around, moving your feet, trying to keep up with the technique. But as when you're the nage, you have to move your feet in a certain way that's very kind of precise. Mm-hmm. So later on, this precise footwork, like when you get used to it, you can start moving freely and your footwork will still be correct. Like you'll still be able to move effectively without revealing like where your weight is, where your balance is.
0: But if you think about like this idea that you're... Supposed to be gliding on the ground, right? Just yes. sliding forward. Why? Why you don't see that? And I mean, you see it a little bit in karate, a little bit. You see it in kendo, of course. You see it in yaido. but you really don't see it in judo mm-hmm. or old school jujitsu. I mean, not you don't see it in shorinji kempo. I don't think. And I'm looking for it, you know. But you you see people moving, You don't see that anymore. Why do you think that is?
2: I really couldn't tell you, it, maybe the teacher doesn't emphasize it, or maybe the teachers didn't think it's important. You know, like, you can only, you can only get as good as your teacher can make you. So if your teacher doesn't provide some of this information, you're naturally going to think, oh, it's not important. So why they don't include it? I really don't know because I know and like when you watch like experts, they move in a way that you're like, oh, yeah, it's very controlled.
0: Well, but like you think about this idea that martial arts in the past were orally transmitted. Right. And that, you know, things weren't supposed to be written down for fear that someone might steal it. But then like you if you these orally transmitted things, if you're not there on that day and they taught you that thing. You missed it on that day, and that was a really important component.
2: (laughs) That is one reason why I almost never miss class. Because I've been to class, and like, Furuya-sensei would say, he would would harp on us on the same things over and over and over and over and over again. But once in a while, he would just come out and say something, you're like, wow, that's a little, like, jewel. And he would not say that ever again afterwards. You just put it in your mind palace and save it for later. And, like, if you're not there, you missed it. You know what I mean? Like, if you're not there, you're going, go, Hey, guys, guess what Sensei said the other day? <laughs> you know, he said this. You're like, oh, you guys didn't show up too bad. You know, that's why you got to come to practice every day because yeah, someone like Sensei, he's got a plethora of knowledge. He would just say something. Just, you know, you do this and this sort of technique, And he would never say it ever again. When you guys went
0: to dinner often, (laughs) did he bust out jewels on a regular basis?
2: No. He's like
0: constantly pontificating about the the movement,
2: Aikido or anything like that? No, he would say usually like when, in the beginning, when I went to eat with him, I was like kind of scared. You're like, oh my God, I'm a sensei. Like, don't do anything stupid. Don't say anything stupid. Don't get him mad. So, you know, you would just hang out kind of and later on as it got more comfortable, he would say one or two things, but it would never be about martial arts. It would be but it would be something related to martial arts. And it would always be something that would help me.
1: So Ken, I have a I have a question for you though. I was thinking about the topic today. Um, from your perspective specifically as a swordsman, as a Yaidoist, uh, Kenjutsu, um, what principles do you see as the most Uh, relevant from swordsmanship for Aikido. We've talked a lot about footwork. Before the podcast, we were talking about timing and spacing. In your mind, as a swordsman, what do you think, because for instance, I had most people study Yaido as part of their training. What do you think translates the most between the two disciplines? Or what's the most important thing to translate? Aikido movement in regards to sword movement,
2: I would say that timing and spacing, like the moment of attack, that's the most crucial time when, in, when you're in an altercation. The moment the attack starts, what do you do? Do you block? Do you freeze? Do you get punched in the face? Or do you come forward with your own attack? Usually, when I watch martial arts, one person hits, the other person defends. Mm. Then they counterattack, other person defends. So it's attack and defense, attack and defense, but usually in swordsmanship, when one person attacks, the other person is attacking at the same time. I tell this to my students, back in the day, and even Sensei said this, in a sword fight, you only have a 30% chance of surviving. Mm. If your timing and spacing is better than your opponent, you win. If your timing and spacing is not as good as your opponent, they win. If your timing and spacing is equal, it ends in ayuchi, which is mutual killing. Both people die. So, your chances of surviving a sword fight with another swordsman, it's about a third, and those are the those are not good odds. Right, it's bad odds. You know, but the swordsman is trained for that situation. Like they're trained to die.
1: So, is, based on what you're saying, is is like the real key takeaway from weapons. Uh, a mental training that you, you learn how to be aggressive and attack and defend at the same time? Is it, is it the timing and spacing or is it all three of those things? But it sounds like what you're talking about is very um, like mental training That in terms of being uh, you have to accept the fact that you're going to lose and then act from that, that basis.
2: On a certain point, you have to accept the fact that you're going to lose because they say when you think that, oh, I want to survive this, then it totally changes your mindset mm. you know but if you think i'm just gonna die i'm just gonna go balls out then that totally changes your mindset and the energy that you give to the other person and sometimes that is enough to make the other person go whoa hey hold on a second hold on a second but if both people are equally committed to like attacking going forward then that's where like this time and spacing come in
1: right
2: you know and then um yeah it is mental but then it's also like the physical technique, the timing, the spacing between, you know, how long it takes for your opponent to reach you, the spacing, uh, when you should move, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Usually in swordsmanship, both people attack at the same time and then both people die. And, but in Aikido, we have that same kind of mentality where both people go aiuchi and come forward. But instead of going ayuchi and coming forward, what happens is you do ayuchi, and because Aikido has, edemi, tenkan, tenchin, at the moment that you think you're gonna get hit, or at the moment you would hit your opponent, you make them, miss you. They call it mutual missing. If you read like Zen and, Jap- Zen and Japanese culture by DT Suzuki, there's a whole chapter on that. I don't remember. Who's the person that first coined that mutual missing thing? But it's they both miss each other even though they attack at the same time. But in Aikido, you miss each other with the intention of missing each other but then instead of them hitting you instead of you hitting them you line up with them and then you can apply the, the, the technique, technique that way. You bring them, and that way you bring them into your own movement. That way you bring their movement into your own movement. And from there you can neutralize their power. You can unbalance them because Aikido is throwing and pinning. And you can get into a good position.
0: But do you think that people in Aikido today think about it in that, at that level?
2: I want to say sometimes I mean people in Aikido know it's based on swordsmanship because that's a company line you know Aikido is based on swordsmanship so you come up you cut Kokunage your hand comes down like it's cutting down something like usually in Aikido you don't push you're either cutting or you're thrusting as you're, as you're moving that's where the power comes from there's no pushing in Aikido so I would say maybe on like a more, not a super, I don't want to say a superficial way, but you know, people usually, teachers usually show like shihonage as the relationship between um, swordsmanship and throwing because it's so easy to show, but I've never seen anybody explain swordsmanship in terms of the timing needed at the moment of attack, the timing and spacing. Because in swordsmanship, the the attack comes very, very quickly. You don't have time to react. You just have time to attack him as they attack. In other martial arts, you know, they hit and then they block. You know, you hit and defend. But in swordsmanship, you're both going forward and you're attacking, attacking, attacking at the same time. That's like maybe uh, orthodox swordsmanship. No. Yagyu Shinkageru might be different. In Yagyu Shinkageru, it's more, it's more refined a little bit. I don't know Yagyu Shinkageru, but the Kumitachi that Sensei taught us is a little bit based on that. There's a lot of timing and there's connection, and there's this circular movement that that we use in our Aikido movement, like Aikiken and Aikijo. Yeah, you're using your jo and using your your boken, but you have to apply the Aikido movement, like Tenkang, edemi, tensing, into those into into that movement, so it doesn't become like a completely separate a completely separate like system. Like the sword and the Joe, they are in Aikido. Like maybe you you're not gonna like fight it out with a Joe or a Boken. But if you do, it should be effective. Like you can't just grab a sword and be I can and then some like someone should take in Kendo for six months like hit your hit your quote like oh you know you have to be able to handle something like that.
1: So Ken, you talked about the three, and Ito has talked about this many times, the three principal movements of Aikido, Irimi, Tenshin, um, Is From a swordsmanship perspective and your perspective as a swordsman, is Irimi the most weapons-based component of those three movements, or are they all three come from swordsmanship? Because it seems to me like when you're talking about mutual attack, mutual hitting, mutual missing, that's a very Irimi-style um structure but i'm just curious what your thought on on that is
2: i would say eating me and tension those are two very
1: linear things
2: so when you're talking about like a weapon a weapon's appointed weapons the weapon is pointed in a specific direction like towards the bad guy towards your opponent so there's no real turning or anything like that there's not much turning but if you take the if you take the weapon away you still have this kind of like linear kind of feeling, like you're holding a weapon. But in Tenkan, you would use the swordsmanship timing to get off the line of fire, etc. like neutralize your timing. And then you would turn and you would align yourself with their power in that way. So it's kind of half swordsmanship, half this, this Tenkan movement. But do you think, like,
0: to really understand these concepts, do you think people should study swordsmanship?
2: What I heard was in the old days, when you joined Aikido, you're already supposed to be an expert. in. This. Most people were already experts in the martial art, like Judo or Kendo or swordsmanship. And Aikido was like their post-grad. Like, the Aikido technique, the timing and spacing, Took what you already know and improved it. It it plused it. So what would happen is, Osensei would just come in and start talking about these concepts, and he would just assume that you already knew this stuff. Mm. So a lot of people, what I heard was, they're like, I have like sort like I have no idea. And you know, like Osensei is not gonna go, Hey, this is how you hold a sword. This is your stance. You have to be like this. He had no time for that. He had he already. He already assumed that you knew how to take okay. So when he threw you, he didn't have to worry about hurting you. When he asked you to attack him, he didn't have to say, no, 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 like don't attack like that, attack, you know. So these things were already assumed that you knew. So a lot of these students had to be, like, oh shoot, I have to learn swordsmanship now. So some of them had to take yaido classes off on the side. But do you think people today should study sword? I want to say, to a certain extent, yes, the swordsmanship is part of your Aikido training and it can only help you because there's certain things that you do as a swordsman when you cut you use when you're cutting your opponent down. There's a lot of things about... like Like for example, like when you in the very, like the simplest cookie nugget, Tenkang, Katete Tori Gyakuhami Tenkan Kokunage, where you, they grab your wrist, then you tenkan, and then you slide forward, and you cut down. You're supposed to make a big cut and project from your fingertips, but you're also supposed to make your hand like heavy. So in essence, when you throw somebody in that way, when they're coming forward and attacking you, at the moment they attack you, they're throwing already. So what you're trying to do is you're trying to make him go forward and down at the same time. And in swordsmanship, you're attacking, you're cutting forward and you're cutting down. So you're make your opponent, when you throw, do two different motions. If you just bring them down, they'll just come down in front of you. If you just come forward, they'll just come forward and they'll turn around and look at you. You have to bring them down as you have to bring their body down as they're being projected forward and that's what makes them go forward. So if you understand that way of throwing Tenkan nage or any other nage using your body, then you kind of understand swordsmanship a little bit. But, but the thing is, is that how much
0: swordsmanship training would you have to do in order to extrapolate that
2: and use it in your Aikido training? Well, I started in 1988, mm-hmm. and I started I- Iaido in 1990, and between, and from 1988 to 1990, before I got my black belt, we were already doing like, there's already a weapons class. So in those two years, I kind of already knew how to do suburi and stuff like that. When I joined Iaido, All I had to do was watch them do a technique and just try to just try to copy it. So, um, it's not something that you can learn, it's just something you have to practice correctly. Like if you practice, if you move as a swordsman, then you're getting the benefit of that sword training. If you move in a, if you move and do a technique in a weapons-based manner, then you're taking advantage of all the, like I guess wisdom for lack of a better word, that this training can give you. And you can use that to apply power to the technique.
0: But if you think, but I mean, does it seem like it would take a long
2: time? I would say martial arts, you're playing the long game. Because most of these movements, as simple as they are, they're so simple that one, one thing wrong would just make the whole thing wrong. So you have to like, you have to train in a thoughtful way that it, you got to just try to make it as correct as possible with the same mindset and the same energy as you would as if you were using the sword or using the spear you would move in that same way. But I mean, that seems like it would
0: take a long time. I would say it would take
2: a long time.
0: Like, Bill, how long have you been studying Yaido?
1: Since 1999, 1999, or 98. So 25 years. 25 years of Yaido, 30 years of Aikido this year. Oh, you're 30, 30 years so of Aikido? Oh, wow. Year, my 30th year is this year um, in the summer. I started, I believe I started in the summer. But I, uh, but I had a question for you, Ken, about this. Um, you know, my, my path to starting EIDO was, for instance, he said to me like about six months before I was supposed to test my black belt, he's like, you will now do EIDO. It wasn't even like a discussion. <laughs> he's like, you will now do EIDO. And um, I, I remember, and I love EIDO, but I remember like that was part of our training. Uh, and I'm just curious if you thought that maybe Furia Sensei, to talk about Fūryū Sensei for a minute, if how what, because sword was a huge influence in his life, I and mean, he collected swords, he taught swordsmanship, but do you think he was influenced by Second doshu in that respect, or what what made him so committed to both arts and their relationship together? I don't
0: I don't think it was uh, Second Doshu's which which influenced him to do it. He he was collecting subas at like very you young years age. Old. Yeah. Before he and you know he had he got his shodan in kendo at 10 years old.
1: Wow, yes, that's amazing.
2: He was already teaching Aikido when he was 14 years old. Can you imagine being 14 years old no. and trying to teach these grown grown men like Aikido? And then you gotta be you gotta be good enough to throw these guys down and show them who's boss.
0: Yeah, he had Incredible. a very hard
2: time. Yeah. But he got a shodan like 13 or
0: 14 years old.
1: Yes. In and then he went to Japan at 18? Or was no, he in he his went 20s? to
0: Japan in, in his sophomore year of college. Okay. Yes. Whatever age you are when you do that.
1: Yeah. So like 19, 19, yeah. probably. Wow. But still, to get your black belt that young is pretty incredible. Yeah,
0: because what 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 was I doing at ten years old? Screwing around. I know my my son's ten years old. He's not like that guy's a black belt in Aikido, black belt in Kendo. What the heck?
1: But today, it's most most dojos don't promote teenagers until what sixteen? To black uh, well, belt. Well,
0: but that I think Kendo and Judo might be different because they're competitive arts, right? Right. So you have to just compete in order to get gain to that get level. The rank. But I mean, also in. Those days, right, that was the 1960s, early 1960s, late 1950s. No, late 50s, early 60s, it was much more rough. Right. You know, Furio-sensei would often, I think he got his, once got his uh, uh, wrist broken kote in in, in a tournament. Someone broke his wrist.
1: Really? In In kendo? In kendo. With a shinai. With a shinai. That's how good some
2: of these people are. They can take that bamboo sword and mess you up. As a As a teenager. These were teen, He was fighting... Yeah, these are teenagers. his level, he's fighting teenagers. So a
1: teenager broke his wrist. That's incredible. Yeah. That's a lot of power projection. Yeah. So that kind of goes to what you were saying, Ken, that, that a lot of the power projection in Aikido can be gleaned or, and mined from a weapons training.
2: Yes, it can be. Because it's different than punching or kicking. It's energy through... It's energy generated through your own movement and the movement of your center, a completely stable center that's completely stable and you can move it freely from point A to point B, if you do that against your opponent, what, what chance do they have against someone who can move that, that powerfully? Well, what if a person
0: studied uh, Western fencing or, or medieval swordsmanship? How would that be different than studying Kendo or you know, Aikido in a, in a
2: sword-based art? I don't know much about medieval swordsmanship, or, or Western fencing. I knew that Western fencing they take they take in consideration your center line. They're always talking about the center line, center <clears throat> line. They're yeah. always talking about, about spacing and distance. So, but usually in like Western fencing, from my understanding, you just poke the guy. You yeah. know, d- depending on which sword you have, I forgot the name of that three swords you have: saber, epi, and foil or something else you know some are for slashing one is one is strictly for like for like thrusting and things like that so i will say the timing and spacing is not that much different because they're both moving forward because you got to get into attack range to deliver the attack right for swordsmanship they're trying to cut you down in half because just because you get stabbed doesn't mean you're like, oh, okay, I forfeit, I win. Like in Japanese horsemanship, you gotta cut the guy completely, because if you just do a flesh wound, if you miss, they're gonna come after you again. Right. Like they, you know, if you cut off their hand, they'll probably still try to cut you with the other hand. They're trained like that.
1: You know, so one of the things I hear both of you talking about when you teach at a very high level talking about Zanshin in Aikido, especially when you finish your technique in Aikido. But when I think about Iaido and Zanshin, when you're, when you're just saying there, is that in Iaido you might have an initial attack and then you have a moment of Zanshin to be ready to attack again. Um, what's the relationship of Zanshin in Iaido and in Aikido and, and how, how important Zanshin is for Aikido? Because I hear both of you talk about Zanshin all the time.
0: Well, I mean Zanshin is this this your the power of your mind that's left over after the technique. Mm. So if your Zanshin is weak, that means your mind was like and not calm. So and I don't know if do they have the uh, what the uh, equivalent term would be for Zanshin before Tachi?
2: I don't know if they ever talk about that. I don't that, know if they but... have anything like that. Like they're always talking about Zhang after you finish the movement. You stop sharply, and then stopping sharply, it it reflects your state of mind. Right, like you can tell that something up there is still working. Like zan is, shing is kokoro, like your, your spirit. Yeah. Zan is leftover, mm. so it's a leftover spirit in the technique. So if there's no zan shing, probably your movement was just empty movement, just you know, just flapping around or something like that.
0: Yeah, it's like. It's not dance, but it, the idea would be it'd be like dance. Yeah, um, okay. it's just it's just movement, but the all, intention, all the movement in martial arts have meaning. Yes, they all have purpose, and so even when you stop, it has purpose. And so yes. that's the idea that your zon, your sheen is left is what's left over after you just did this whole miraculous movement, cut this person down, threw them down, and what is left? Uh shaking around. That means. It was just physical movement,
1: right right yeah. so there's a spiritual component in a sense to it, what you're saying.
0: For lack of a better word, we say spiritual. people yeah. think that spiritual is religious, but no, it's spiritual as in uh internal internal okay right? what's what's yeah. left over? you' it's just like mental you just cut this person down, you just did the worst thing that society uh deems the worst, right, and then what's left over? you know so when you're all frazzled right that that shows your level,
1: right, right. But why do you think both of you, is a question for both of you, is that, I mean, I notice in my own training, but then sometimes that if I'm teaching class, like if you watch people, like sometimes if they're in the, in the last half of the class, they're tired, zonchin slips. Um, and I know I sometimes, I think like, there's, there's so much emphasis, I think, from a Western perspective on learning how to do a particular movement, you forget the mental component of it. So like, let's say you do a riminage, but you don't finish in a zanchin position, um, you as you say, you don't, you haven't caught the the technique completely. But I just seem like it's it's very easy. I think for those of us who grew up in a Western environment, to not not emphasize the zanshin as much as we probably should. I mean, in the most
2: practical sense, when you have zanshin, the technique is still working. So if you have multiple opponents, you can't throw, turn off, then turn on again. Right. Because right. you you know, as soon as you wake up again, you're dead. Or, you know, knocked down. So when you throw, you're like keeping your ment- the mental technique working. So when you have multiple opponents, if you have to th- do the, another technique, you're not like, oh, I got to start all over again. Let me just, let me start all over again, you know. So, but usually, like they say, your physical posture reflects your mental posture. So if I throw and my hand's a little bit askew, It's not a huge crime. But for martial arts, you want to make, you know, you you have to have your hand set in a certain way. So when you don't see it, you're up. Like, it's a bad finish. Like, it's a sloppy finish. There's no zanxing. So when you get very, very good, maybe you just stand there after technique and and you're full of zanxing. But you don't have to have your hand out to, like, to, like, signal that there's zanxing. You know what I mean? You you could just cut and then relax, but mentally, it's still working. Be ready, yeah. Yeah. But in the beginning, it's really hard to say, concentrate real hard, and you're concentrating just sitting there. So in martial arts, like, when you make a good finish, like, you can concentrate on your posture and your finish, and that kind of... It's something that your mind can, like... um, grab onto to help concentrate. Cause it's hard to say, okay, concentrate. And you're like, um, on what? <laughs> so when you're doing the movement, even when you're cutting, like when you're doing suburi, you cut and then you stop sharply. Like you're concentrating on stopping sharply and then holding it, that's your zanshin right there. I mean, in the most basic, basic terms, when you get, more advanced, it becomes a little, you add more stuff to it. It becomes more advanced. But at the most basic, basic, basic thing, like when you cut and then you stop your hand and your body stops sharply and you hold it for like maybe a couple of seconds, that's your Zanshin right there. So later on, if you do randori, when you throw, you don't pause. You throw and go into the next person. You throw and go into the next person. So you're... That zan just like ridges into your next technique. Mm. So mentally, you're you're always ready. You know, like mental and physical in your training have to like somehow meld meld together somehow. It's not completely physical. And it's not completely mental. It's not like a mental exercise. Like somehow the mental part and the physical part have to somehow, boom, and then it matches. You're like, oh, shoot. Now my physical... Movement is mirroring, mirroring my m- focus, concentrate, whatever you want, you know. So when you do aikido and you and you do something easy like tenkan Kokunage, you can feel your, you can feel their energy and your energy kind of align. Then boom, you just go forward. It aikido it becomes actually easier when you like get all this stuff all the, when you tick off all the recipes in the Aikido recipe book for a technique, you get them down. And when you add timing and and spacing, like when you're like swordsmanship style, you add that timing and spacing, like at the moment they cut, you're at their side and you throw them, then you're like, oh shoot, Aikido is not that bad. It works. It works. You're like, oh, that's how it works. Cause you gotta realize that in Aikido, We use a time and spacing to, you know, do tenkan, irimi, tenchin. But you could also use that time and space to just, like, kick somebody. Or, like, just do, like, an atemi, and that's it. Which is, you know, not nice. Because, so in Aikido, instead of punching the guy or cutting their head with your hand blade or atemi or something, you, like, incorporate that movement, but you turn line up with them, then you throw them. And do a technique. And you do a technique. Right. You know, right. neutralize their power, do ikkyo, neutralize their power, do irimi nage, you know, lead them around, do kotegaishi. So here's an interesting question.
1: Okay.
0: At the end of your Utika class in Aikido, how are you supposed to feel?
1: Hmm, that's a good question.
0: In terms of, we talk about this idea of zanshin. At the end of the Aikido class, even if it's a very rigorous class,
2: how are you supposed to feel? Sensei, Furia sensei made an interesting comment. And he only said it one time. And I always remembered it. One time, after a class, everybody was cleaning up in a kind of like a lively manner. You know, there was like just naturally like this like conversation going on. And a sense, like that was a good class. Because you could tell like afterwards, people felt like energized. Hmm. Not like... Not like you're put through the ringer like, oh, my God, like, that was horrible. Or like, oh, my God, like, that class was so easy. You're like, you had this this energy happening. I was like, that is very interesting, you know. Like, everyone was cleaning up energetically. Like, it was almost like an extension of class. Hmm. Like, people were, like, cleaning up energetically. The dojo got clean. People were, like, conversing with each other, like, kind of lively, like, after class. And since it was like, oh, yeah, that's that's how it's supposed to be, you know. And they never forget that. I was like, interesting. So there's this whole energy that happens in the class. I guess if you teach correctly, it's energy that you imbue in the class and it just carries over into um, after class. Because I remember, I used to come to class like just like, I would rather go home and take a nap <laughs> after work. Than, and I learned that I would feel so much better after class. And I was like, oh, shoot, I'm going to come to class even though I'm dog tired. Well, that's the way it's supposed to be, that the Zan Shin is
0: kind of like cleaning your energy. A little bit. Right. And so when you go to the class and even if it's a really, really, really hard physical workout, once you get out, you should feel like, wow, I feel energized. I feel yes. good. The your mind is clean, your energy is clear, and then your body feels good. And then you go, hey, let's go do something else. Yeah. Right? Like even if you supposedly, so even if you supposedly did like four or five hours of Aikido afterwards like, I always wonder, like, how do these people do, like, four or five, four, five, six, ten hours? Like, Osensi o- would just get them up, do ten hours of training, they go to sleep for an hour or two, and then he would wake them up at three o'clock in the morning. Right, start over. It's like, how do these people do that? And then this idea that it, it somehow energizes you and gives you power, which enables you to kind of, like, do a, a lot of it. And then that power you take into your regular day. And then you feel, you know, that's why it's, you're supposed to train at 6.30 a.m. before work.
1: To rise your yes. energy,
0: to to improve your energy, and then yeah. you go to work, and then you're you have a great day, and you're super productive, yeah. and all that stuff.
2: Yeah, because supposedly at that time, that's when the the Earth's key is the strongest. That's what they say. That's they do Tai Chi like in the morning. That's why O Sensei and Doshu, the only class they would teach is a 6:30 a.m. class. So I guess that goes with that that um that concept of that misogi the yes. cleansing like what you were saying, you feel like good afterwards. It's not like you're literally cleaning something, but spiritually you feel, oh yeah, like I'm refreshed kind of thing. Like I, I don't feel any, um, all the bad things that you had during the day. In training, you're concentrating on the technique so much. Like, you know, you can't concentrate on a bad day when someone's coming show energy to your head. You're like, oh shoot. You know, you have to move. So it kind of gets all the extraneous stuff all to your mind because yeah. there's just practice and that's it yeah
0: and even at even at a, a low level of of rank you're supposed to feel that not yeah. just at the higher level for everybody no. yeah for everybody yeah. like you f- like I, I mean i imagine in the beginning you don't feel that because you're so self-conscious and you're so worried yeah but then after a certain level
2: you just start moving and then you, oh i feel good even though i've only been doing aikido for a couple months. months three months yeah because yeah. in our dojo after three months people already know how to do Tenkan, Irimi, tension. they don't have the basic footwork down. You know, they know how to kind of move. Then they have to refine that movement, which takes uh, how many years after that? Who knows? But you're constantly trying to. Well, yeah, when you and our students, uh, black belt was three to five years. Yes. Mm-hmm. You got yours
0: in two. I got mine a little more than three. Yes. Right. But like three to five years, you're already a black belt. Yes. And then your body, you're you know, you're just moving your body doing Aikido.
2: Yeah, we were young, we had time, so we had, we could, we could afford to do Aikido over and over and over and over and over and over, and over again until, until the technique kind of, I want to say marinated. It not battered into our body, but it seeped into our body, so we kind of uh, got accustomed to the movement itself. Then after that, you got to like refine it, you know, timing, spacing, distance, everything, all that other stuff. But all these concepts you're talking
0: about that come from sword, right? Sword movement and spear movement. How do you, can you, can you get those movements without studying the sword though? Can you get a real true EDME? Supposedly, supposedly, you can't get a true EDME unless you learn how to use a sword. Because the cut will never be true because it'll always be an affectation of a cut.
2: I think you would have to be a really, really disciplined, special person. So, like when you move barehanded, it's just as precise as if you had a sword in your hand. Like the sword in Aikido gives the movement its precision, they say. And then from this precision, you learn how to move the sword more freely. So, it's not just Rigid. precise. For Joe, it's supposed to be you learn like flexibility and movement, you know, it's very flexible and flowing. But when you when you handle a staff, when you hit, it still has to be very precise. So it seems like all this training with with weapons is designed to make your movement precise, like very precise. Like the like the timing is precise, your movement is precise, like The way you focus is very precise, yet when you watch like Osensei, these other guys, it looks like they're just like almost like stepping around, like pirouetting and things like that. So within this precision, you have to somehow find this flexibility and movement, or in this flexibility and movement, you have to find the precision in that flexibility and movement because it's still a martial art. You know, like when you hit someone, you gotta hit the target. When you throw, when you th- when they attack you, you have to make sure that you know you're off the line of fire. All body parts are off the line of fire, you know. But then, in that sense, should you should you study
0: cutting like batoryu and stuff like that, because you have to, to truly learn that cut.
2: I know a lot of aikido schools offer iaido. To supplement their training and I completely understand why. Because Iaido is so precise, there's only really one way to do it, and that's the correct way. So when you get that mindset into your brain, when you start doing Aikido, your your movement just naturally becomes more precise. So I would say Yeah, but the, should yes, they should they Yes? Should they be
0: doing like Tamashigiri and all stuff like that? You don't need to do Tamashigiri. The cutting, Tamashigiri,
2: the cutting uh, Wada. I, I don't think so. Yeah, that's like breaking boards, hmm. you know, you know, like you see, boards don't, boards don't hit back, you know, <laughs> like stuff like that, you know. <laughs> well,
0: because, you know, there's this famous story about Tiger Mori, the yes. famous kendoist, that when he went back to Japan, he did an exhibition of uh, kendo. And at the end of the exhibition Nakayama Hakudo you know the, the father of ike of uh, yaido went up to him and said that he the way you move is enlightened hmm. like you must have you must have done the things that you did can only be achieved having done combat with a sword and then tamordi said oh no I've never done combat he said there's almost no way for you to have learned that without combats so like this that same idea that having not done tam- Tamashigiri or cutting people down, do you truly learn how to use the sword?
2: I would say it's all in like a mindset. Like supposedly what I heard was when Takeshi Mizuzuka Sensei's Iaido teacher, demonstrated Iaido, they said it was chilling. It's not like watching some guy like uh, swing a sword around. They said you watch it, you're like, oh my God, like it's an... It sent chills into you. So I think while he was doing the sword, while he was moving his sword, in his mind, he was like actually cutting people down, like mentally. Because you, when you do the idol, like when you move the sword, you, do, you cut, you thrust, you do all these things. Mentally, you're supposed to be cutting your opponent down. And then after you your last cut, you do chiburi and then you do this whole thing and you're supposed to like calm yourself down into like, okay, okay, I was a killer in the middle of the technique. And now at the end, when, after I do chiburi and I switch my feet and I do noto, you're bringing yourself back to like the human state where like you're not like bloodthirsty anymore.
0: But, but that's the thing that to extrapolate sword into Aikido is something called mutoryu right? Yeah. The no hand technique, which is, th- which is supposed to be the genius of Yagyu Shinkage. Yes. But we're talking about someone's genius Oh sensei's genius. Yagyu yes. Shinkage. You know, when Yagyu Shinkage turned out that back foot, it was like mind-blowingly genius. No one ever thought of that because now you, it opened up the door for uh, empty hand techniques, but we are doing <laughs> Osensei's enlightenment We are yeah. doing this Mutoryu, this, this enlightened movement Which, you know, 99.99% of the, of the swordsmen In, you know, ancient Japan Weren't able to do Yeah, And here we are every day
2: practicing this enlightened movement Yeah, like we always have to Keep that in mind That, that He forged Osensei well, forged his path in front of us you know, all in second doshi to a certain extent, like forges path in front of us. But we got, we got realize that we are doing, we're just, we're just aping the techniques of someone who's like a complete genius. Like, you know, a lot of the things we do, if we don't train correctly or train properly or train tirelessly, it's not going to work against somebody. Like, well, could make it work. And if you're not trained properly, you're not going you're just like, uh, you're just a photocopy of the, of the, um, of the original picture. You have to almost become the picture by, through your practice almost. But doesn't that work
0: toward the detriment of Aikido? Because most of these people aren't doing Aikido in a serious way. So they can never, you know, to catch that timing, the swordsmanship timing. To catch that no no touch aikido timing yeah right like we're talking about like one percent point zero one percent people that ever have done aikido have been able to do that like so like how do how do how does a normal person uh, integrate swordsmanship with aikido
2: that would be probably up to your teacher to guide you. If they're trained correctly but also it's a lot of up to yourself like a lot of th- these things you have to almost figure out on your own because they say the teacher when they show you what's the word like when they show you a table they o- they show you three legs you gotta find a th- you gotta find a fourth leg on your own like they or they say like the teacher only teaches 50 percent you gotta teach you gotta figure out the other 50 percent.
0: But so how, how many people are actually learning the 50% from their teacher? Like, I don't even know. You see, like, you, you and I have the same teacher. Yes. We have almost the same amount of training time. Yes. You have probably twice the amount of training hours that I do. I rarely, if ever, took free Sensei Zukemi. Yes. So for me, I, I don't know if I have that. I don't know if I, if I have that 50%. And I'm the teacher and I'm sixth on. I've been doing Aikido for th- 33 years. Mm. And I wouldn't I don't know. Today, I wonder out loud, man, I wonder if I have
2: 50% to build on that to make my own 50%. Right? I mean, even me, like, do I have the 50%? I'm not really sure. But what I do know is that what Sensei taught me, every time I look at it, I always find something new to like gleam from it. I was like, oh shoot. Like, I'm so glad that I did this same movement over and over and over and over and over and over again. And refined it to a point where, like, I see different things from this movement. So, how can I explain this in a way that's easy to say? Like, you just through your own training. The technique itself, the Aikido technique itself will, when you let it teach you, it will start teaching you. But if you reject it, like, I'm going to do Krav Maga. I'm going to start sweeping legs and things like that. you'll be like, it'll stop teaching you because you don't even, like, look at it anymore. Like, you got to look at it. And you, got, you got to practice it. Then you got to examine it. You got to practice some more. Then you got to... Sometimes you got to go all the way back to, like, the original words that your sensei said about this particular technique. You go, oh, that's right. You know, like, you know how, like, if you read, like, let's say, The Spirit of Aikido, when I first read it, I was like, I have no idea what this means. This is crazy. And then when it became a showdown, I was like, okay. And then I haven't read it in a long time, but I'm sure when I read it, I was like, oh my God, this is genius. This is, yes, it's completely right. You know, like, the same words in the course of your training, through your training, have different meanings to you, and it should ideally get, um, better in a logical way you know what i mean like it shouldn't be like oh yeah it's good it's like oh wait that's wrong like if that happens you're like oh shoot then something's awry here
0: but then that that you know i just wonder about my own self when i think about Freesence. sensei had been studying swordsmanship when he he if he'd gotten his on at 10 years old Right? Yes. And supposedly you start at six and a half years old. So let's just say he started at six. Just, yeah. That means he got a on as a child in four years. It's incredible. Right? And then his swordsmanship of ability parlayed into his success as an Aikidoist because he already understand timing, spacing,
2: yeah.
0: body positioning, the way you move your feet and all these things. Yes, but then, what do the rest of us do that started that don't have swordsmanship or started Aikido <laughs> when you're a,
2: an well, adult? Well, guess what? Uh, honestly, it's too bad for us. <laughs> you know, it's like that's the way it works. You know, some people get born into a family with lots of money. Some people are poor. They gotta work really hard to like get rich. It's almost like the same thing. I mean, sensei, he would tell us that. About his teachers Like kendo It was Torao, Tiger Mori And Um Ebihara sensei Ebihara For iaido, Takiguchi sensei For kendo Like this old man You know He had like When he talked about them They were like Wow Those were real martial artists From old school You know Cause Takiguchi sensei Was a, um, a itto-ryu guy Cause way back in the day They used to Um they had these dojos, but they would uh, focus on one particular like koryu. Yeah, right. And they would go like that. They would, they would do like they have a special, a particular school, and they would practice kendo like that. And now kendo is like more general, you know. Right. They but, don't have those
0: uh main main schools yeah like they don't have the same. yeah
2: they don't have that rivalry like oh like it told was better than shindo Murenyu, you you know like we we're gonna beat you now it's like you know everyone's come together to better themselves through this training
0: well but i mean you think about this idea that swordsmanship and aikido go hand in hand right and but then who has the time to study both <laughs> who has the will to study both, right? one Each one is its own separate art, yes. right? And then you have to have the will to study yado, and you have to have the will to study, well, and if, let's say we throw in spearmanship, right? Each one of those is a, a is an art in itself, and then in Japan, you the, you know, they emphasize ichiro, one path,
2: Yes, yes.
0: Right, so how do you, th- that's the hard part about, what will the future of Aikido be like when people, the, the senseis or the students or whoever they are, Don't study aikido. They don't study aikido from the standpoint of swordsmanship and spearmanship. What would happen? Yeah. What's going to happen?
2: I have no idea because that is probably what makes it work: the timing, spacing, how you issue power through your whole body, your center extension. You know, some things are strictly aikido, like you know, kokudosa you know, that thing, which is super important, but you add cookie doza to swordsmanship, timing and spacing, you're gonna get this thing that's freaking fantastic, you know? Like you're gonna whatever the your opponent does, however they attack you, once you neutralize their power, what is it what are they gonna do? When you take away their power and balance for that split second, and as a swordsmanship as a swordsman you're trained to take advantage of that split second where they're, where they're off balance and you exploit that. So when you add timing, spacing, kokudosa, your footwork, then that's why when you look at Aikido, you're like, man, O-sensei was a genius. He was a complete genius. And people would go there and go like, what's Aikido, looks fake. And then, but when you get thrown by Aikido person, you're like, oh, wow, like I didn't, how did he throw me? I had no idea how he threw me, mm. you know, because there are stories that, like, you get thrown by a Akira person, you know, number one, when you try to hit them, they're like, where'd they go? Number two, when, they, when you get thrown by a Akira person, a lot, a lot of them people say, I had no idea how he threw me, you know, it's a mystery, like, all I know is that I was falling, because Akira designed like that, so it's not... Other martial arts, you know exactly how they threw you. You know they grabbed your arm and they put you over their shoulder. Well, a lot of times in Aikido, they say I had no idea how they threw me. You know, I didn't feel it. I just all I felt was I just started falling. And you're like, wow, like that's weird. So I guess it's timing and timing and spacing on stero- timing spacing connection on steroids. Mm-hmm. Like you're like it's so. You're such an expert, or the technique enables you to be such an expert at these things that you can throw people in that manner. In a way that they're like, ah, like I grab them and now I'm on the ground. I don't understand. It's like that thing where he like grabs sensei's, um, grab him, like throws him, what he would do like this thing, and I was like, how is he like making the power come off from my legs? I can't understand that. I could never understand that. Like it's not like it's not like I felt him pushing me down. It's not like I felt him cutting me down. I would grab him and he would go like this or do something like that and I'll be like, oh and I, my feet would just come out from under me. It was the weirdest sensation. Weird. So how do you get there? In- how do you get
0: there is through practicing correctly. <laughs> but do you need sort of Do you need
2: swordsmanship and spearmanship to get there? For that particular instance, I would say it helps because that was more like a koku connection thing. But when you're talking about people attacking you, you know, coming up and like, not just like doing like tapping you, but someone who's actually trying to swing a baseball bat at your head. Yeah, like you need that kind of timing and spacing. Cause if you don't, you're either gonna get hit in the head or you know, or worse. You gotta either be in the right position, you can't hesitate and you can't block, because it's you know, if you block a baseball bat to your head, your shoulders, your your arms gonna get hurt. Mm. So you gotta like move in a place where the power in the attack is neutralized or it's not so not so strong. You go into like a dead zone in the technique. Then from there, if you're close enough, you can do a atemi, tenkan, and throw them down. So in that sense, that atemi, when you slide in to do idimi, that's your that's your sword move. You're like thrusting as you slide in. So you're attacking as you're defending at the same time, which that's the ideal of every martial arts technique is offense and offense and defense are like melded together so it's not completely offensive like you can't just punch and leave your face out there you have to punch in a way that if they counterattack you're still protected or if you're blocking you have to block in a way that there's a little bit of offense in there that you can still come forward and do a counter a punch or some kind of offensive technique like that. And swordsmanship is like that too. Like when you bring your sword up, you have this one instance where your throat is opened, you're trying to you're trying to cut in a way where, as soon as you move the attack, you're exposed to your opponent's attack. So you have to lessen that by bringing your sword up and down and coming forward effectively so your opponent won't have time to come forward and thrust at your throat so it's all like just it's all about timing and spacing and like when you attack you have to attack in a way that is very hard for your opponent to counterattack you but the technique is designed that when someone attacks you you're able to slide in or do a counterattack to them so All these techniques are are designed like that. It's not purely offensive or purely defensive. They have elements of both. Like that yin-yang sign is like, like half black, half red or whatever colors you want. Like it's not all black or all red. So most, a good martial arts technique is both offensive and defensive at the same time. Like Aikido looks defensive Because you're actually, looks like you're just waiting around for something to happen. But actually, in Aikido, you're very subtly initiating the attack to make them attack you. And that way, you're not waiting around. Because if you wait around, you'll always be late. If you initiate the attack and you make them attack at the exact time you want them to attack, you'll never be late. So, in a certain sense, you can
0: really, from the way what you just said, you can really see. The influence that swordsmanship has on Aikido.
1: Yes. So I have a question for you, Sensei. But I, maybe you have an answer to this too, Ken. I know we've talked in the past about when you when you say if you had to do one technique or only one technique, most of the time you talk about doing Ikyo Irimi. Uh, in the past, I've also heard you talk about doing a Shoman Shomanuchi style Irimi with a with a dropping attack. Do you see from your your own perspective is that is your belief in that as a valuable technique partially based on your understanding of erimi from weapons?
0: No. Okay. The only reason why I say that is because to purely move in EDB and cut that person down, it you have to have a certain pureness of your heart. Mm-hmm. No hesitation. The moment you hesitate, then— It's too late. You, it's, well, it's too late, but you can't— and, uh, um, issue 100% power because you're afraid to lose you're afraid well, to get hurt so when you move in and hit that person show or you move in and and do I- or irimi that will show what your true level is mm, okay. oh, oh oh you get all scared that shows your level you can't really move in deep that shows your level if you could move in with no emotion that shows your level that's why i would choose that that would be the only technique i would move
2: to do
1: right right
2: yeah that's a. Uh, that goes with like why we don't have competitions in aikido because one wins one loses in martial arts in particular swordsmanship if you have a winning losing mindset like you said like the attack is not pure when you think about oh like if i hit him then he'll do this and then i'll lose the match and i won't get my prize money or the trophy or something like that that's going to just that's going to affect your that's why I think your martial arts bandwidth. Your martial arts bandwidth has to be full of just I'm going to attack this person as perfectly as I can with a perfect amount of timing, spacing, everything in my skill set I'm going to use. But if you if you add winning and losing into the mix, then that colors that your <clears throat> mental posture. So that is probably why like we don't have competition in aikido cuz Winning and losing, like you said, it colors like, oh, like, if I get hit, then I won't win this competition, you'll get the point, you know, so, I mean, that's, I mean, I agree, when you attack, it has to be completely pure, and that's what we're all going for, in kendo, every martial art, you're trying to go for this purity of mind, where the attack is complete. Like, mentally, spiritually, physically, it's BAM! It's all there. And if you can do that, pretty much that's all you need. You know, like everything, like in swordsmanship, everything comes down to executing the perfect cut. If that is perfect, that's all you need, they say. You know, you don't have to do all this, like, all these techniques and things like that. Like, if you come up to there it and just do the perfect punch, you know, no time to block, no time to react. That's all you need, but then how much do you have to train to get to that point? Where you could just move yeah. in and then punch, and the person just like, oh, completely call off balance, couldn't read your movement, couldn't sense your movement. By the time, like you said, like when you blink, like you lose like what, 0.8? 0.8?
0: Yeah.
2: In 0.8 seconds, a good martial artist can close the distance and attack you. Right. So when you blink, when you blink, you're already dead you're or, away. you know, on the floor you know so it's the same thing like that like they're trained to bridge that gap in less than a blink of an eye Mm.
1: this this reminds me of the video that you sent around a few years ago sensei of of the documentary in japan of the gentlemen that were training for their eighth dawn in kendo and how one of the guys in the in the video all he does for his training at that level is like shomenuchi like he just trains like shomenuchi two hours a day and they're going to judge the purity of his cut in the competition so that I remember and correct me if I'm wrong on this but my understanding of that video was the judgment of whether you're 8th dawn or not did not matter on whether you won the bout but the way that you cut and the way that you entered and did your motion.
2: Yeah. Because they're looking at how you move the shinai as if it was an actual sword because up until then you can do all this stuff you know because it's just a bamboo stick you can do whatever you want to with it like technically But they want to see you move this bamboo stick in a way that a swordsman would move the bamboo stick. And these guys are trained to, like, you know, all they do is they're experts at observing the movement. That's what they do. Right. When they're facing someone, they're trained to observe, like, the movement. So when they're just watching you, yeah, like, they could totally tell your mental state as you cut. So... Yeah, they're experts. They're experts at reading people because that's their job is when they're like facing someone They're just not like reading like the emotion. They're reading the person You know, they're sizing them up mentally Just like they say like When a person walks in, you should look at them and go, okay Like you instantly what their capabilities are Just by the way they walk, just by their posture and stuff like that Yeah, since they told a really interesting story when he was in Japan they were at some like Tamashigiri competition or something like that, you know, all day thing. And he was just like, um, I forgot who, who he was with there, but probably like another sword teacher. They were just there watching these people like come out and do Tamashigiri. And then he told a story. He said, This guy came out. He said, Oh my God. He, this guy came out and instantly Sensei could tell how good he was. Hmm. He said, He came out, drew a sword cut, and then he put it away and he went back. Then he said, His shoulders didn't move at all. Hmm. But he could tell by the way he walked out that this person was like he was a real deal. Everybody else, when they walked out, he, you know, he didn't think anything of them. He just came out, he cut expertly. He just left. Hmm. So just by him walking out, Sensei could tell that he was very, 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 very good. Hmm. When he cut, he cut like his body didn't move. He said, his his shoulders were completely still. He drew, he cut, he put the sword away, boom, and that's it. Wow. So it's like, dang, because, you know, like, you've done Iaido before, right? Yeah. Like, and I've done Iaido, you've done some Iaido. Like, you know how hard it is to move and keep your shoulders completely still?
1: It's very difficult. Yeah. It's very difficult.
2: Yeah, like, because you, you can't telegraph your attack. Once your shoulder goes like that, oh, and then they're, he's going to do something. That's carte blanche for them to come in and kill you, to, like, attack you. So, you know, you have to be super-duper careful back then, you know. So I would say in terms of swordsmanship and Aikido, the benefit you get from swordsmanship, in addition to the cutting motion, is the timing and spacing that swordsmanship uses when somebody, when they're being attacked. Like the time and spacing for the sword fight can be applied to empty hand technique, which is what Osensei did. He applied the spacing and timing from a sword cut into a bare-handed technique. So whether they slide whether they step forward and grab you, whether they step whether they come forward and tackle you, whether they just step forward and punch you, you're always judging the timing and spacing of the attacker and you use that to throw or pin them down. So the relationship between sword, swordsmanship and Aikido is actually much deeper than most people think. It's not just shihonage, it's like, it's almost like, it's a huge part of how to neutralize your opponent's power get into a good position, unbalance them, and all the other good stuff that when you hear stories about Aikido, that's what enables you to do some of this stuff. Hmm.
1: Well, that sounds like a really good place for us to try to wrap it up, circle the wagons. Is there anything else either of you wanted to add to this? I think it's a good spot. I think
0: it's a good place to stop.
1: Okay. Thank
2: (laughs) you very much for having me. Well, uh,
0: thank you, everyone, for um, listening or watching. And don't forget to like or subscribe to this podcast. Thank you.
1: Great. Thank you very much.